In John chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, Jesus is the light of the world. He deals with the darkness and discouragement. He deals with the tough times all of us face. He wants us to come to Him. No one ever told a story like Jesus. Nobody ever told a story like Jesus. And when you look at Luke chapter 15, and I invite you to turn your Bibles there, everything revolves around the first two verses that were just read for us in our scripture reading. Everything does. There are three parables that follow. And those three parables follow the setting that is established in verses 1 and 2. In looking at Luke 15, 1 and 2, note this quickly with me. That Jesus attracted sinners. Whereas the scribes and Pharisees tended to repel them, to push them away. You will see in this passage that there are tax collectors and sinners that draw near to Jesus to hear Him. And you'll also see that this causes the Pharisees and scribes to murmur, to complain. It is an interesting expression. It's only found once more in the New Testament, also in the book of Luke. It's found in Luke 19 and verse 7, this particular expression. And it talks about, again, how the religious leaders murmured and complained because Jesus went into the house of one who was a sinner. He went to Zacchaeus' house. Remember, he invited himself there. That was so far out of the thinking of the Pharisees and scribes. And here's the difference, ladies and gentlemen. You see, Jesus didn't cater to the tax collectors and sinners. He didn't cater his message to them. His message was for whosoever will, Revelation 22, 17. Matthew eleven twenty eight. He didn't compromise his message for the tax collectors and sinners. He cared for them. He cared for them. And I believe if we could have brought some of the people from that occasion to this moment in time, if we could have transported them to the here and now, what they'd have said about Jesus as opposed to the scribes and Pharisees is this. It seems to me that the scribes and Pharisees are condemning us and critiquing us. And I believe that these are people who are knowledgeable I believe that there are people that are interested in holiness. But I don't believe that they care for my soul. Tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus. 
because he cared for their souls. Is the church at Westside a congregation knowing, known for caring for the souls of others? When guests come our way, do they leave our assembly saying they really know how to care for a person over there? I felt warm and I felt cared for. I, cared, I, I believe I was loved. Continue looking at the passage. The criticism made against Jesus is this man receives sinners and eats with them. That, my friends, is the best news ever. <laughs> because it's the only way that any of us have hope. And the word receives is a word that ought to be marked in your Bibles. You may have the expression welcomes. And if I could put out a term, this kind of a term for West Texas, we're putting the welcome mat out. Jesus puts the welcome mat out for the tax collectors and sinners and eats with them. He eagerly receives them. He anticipates and welcomes the, the presence of sinners. Jesus does that. Same term is used of Simeon. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 25, it says of Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was eagerly putting the welcome mat out for the time that would come when Israel would have the peace that comes through the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Go down a few verses in Luke 2 to Luke 2, 38. There is a lady by the name of Anna. And Anna is waiting. She's put the welcome mat out. The same word translated receive here in Luke 15, 1 and 2. She's put the welcome mat out for the redemption of Jerusalem. When the holy city would be made holy by the presence of the Messiah. All right. Turn to Luke 23, 51. Same book. Same word. It is said that Joseph of Arimathea came and asked for the body of Jesus. And the expression is used. He was waiting for the kingdom of God. He had put the welcome mat out for the kingdom of God. That was just right at the door, if you will. Do we put the welcome mat out in eager anticipation of those in sin who are in darkness and difficulty and discouragement so they can see the light? When you look at Luke 15, four key words unlock the passage. Four Key words. Here they are. Back in Luke 15, the word lost. Keep that word in mind. We'll develop it more fully in just a moment. Second word, 
found lost in the dark. My life messed up. Seems so hopeless. Lost. Second word found. Third word joy. Joy. Fourth word father. Now, the rest of Luke 15 will really revolve around the words lost, found, joy, and the Father. Fair enough? Now what Jesus does is talk about why people are lost. You ever wonder? I have to admit, as a gospel preacher, I often wonder why people are lost. Look at Luke chapter 15 and look at verses 3 through 7. Some people are lost due to ignorance. A sheep that has left the fold. Some people are lost out of ignorance. People are likened to sheep. And in some ways, it's a very endearing uh, way of speaking of us. And in other ways, sheep are not the smartest critters. Sheep have a tendency to wander. And so as we think about this, some people are lost due to ignorance, and yet the shepherd, although he had a hundred sheep, if one goes astray, he leaves the 99. And Adam, I can almost see it, brother, if he's having to search into the night, man, looking for that sheep, he's got some kind of torch, he's got some kind of light. But the idea is that of an intensive search until what was lost is found. And then there's joy. Look at Luke 15, 7. Joy. There's a celebration in heaven. When one repents, when one comes home. Now look at verses 8 through 10. Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. You have a woman who loses a coin. She has ten of them. One's lost, she has nine. One out of ten is no more acceptable to this woman than one out of a hundred sheep being lost was acceptable to the shepherd. And so begins a diligent search throughout the house. Ladies, if you have ever lost anything, and men, if you have ever seen a lady who has lost something that really matters, it is something in which you better be involved and help, if at all possible, until what is lost is found. And she finds the coin... And there's joy and celebration. Notice verse 10. Some people are lost out of ignorance and some people are lost out of carelessness. Maybe the lady would have said something like this. Well, yes, it's really precious to me, but I just wasn't thinking. And, and then it, 
before I knew it, I'd misplaced it. I'd mislaid it, and I don't remember where I put it. People are lost due to their own ignorance, and people are lost due to carelessness. Maybe the carelessness of someone else. Maybe their own carelessness. Up until now, we've been emphasizing three of the first four concepts. Lost, found, joy. But from Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, all the way through to the end of the chapter, verse 32, you're going to see an emphasis on the concept of father found no less than 11 times. We often call the first portion, 1511 through 24, of the story of the prodigal son, and it's fine to call it that. But it could also be called the story of the forgiving father. When we look at Luke 15, 11 through 32, we see what a master storyteller Jesus is. It is a masterpiece. And it brings all the elements of a story that will hook someone. Let me share with you seven scenes. Now concerning this last parable, the parable of the prodigal son or the forgiving father. Scene number one. Scene number one begins the story. The setting has already been given for us in one way, but the setting is given for us again in verses 11 and 12 to this particular story. And really I put it this way. The parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin are hors d'oeuvres. And the five-course meal is what happens with the prodigal son and the older brother. The first two parables illustrate the fact that God is concerned about what is lost. And like a shepherd or like a woman who has lost something valuable and precious, God intensely searches for us. He cares. He's looking. The last parable, that of the prodigal and of the older brother in verses 11 through 32, emphasize another aspect of salvation. Not just that God values us and treasures us and wants us to come to Him, but really, in this story, He wants us to come and know the joy and celebration of being in His presence. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if the first two illustrate God's grace in a very beautiful way. The last story talks about coming to him in faith and trusting him. Now, the first scene, 
Look at Luke 15, 11, and 12 in your Bibles. I move quickly through this. Pride, pride, and greed. Pride and greed are a lethal formula. Amen. Pride and greed. If you've ever had dealings with somebody, business dealings with some, or family dealings with someone, and that was just overwhelmed with their own pride and greed, you're not going to get too far. The story sounds so hopeful initially, Lynn. A certain man had two sons. Well, within Judaism, that sounds great. He had two sons to help him with the property. And he had two heirs. He brought these sons into the world. And they were able to help him and they were heirs of all that their father had. But the younger of the two, and here's where we see the whole equilibrium. All one nice big happy family, a father and two sons. One of the sons goes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. I'm not willing to wait for you to die. The law was very clear about all of this. Deuteronomy 21, 17. And it was very, very easy to understand. Upon the death of the father, the older son would receive two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger, one-third. That was how Scripture arranged it when you had two like this. And basically, the prodigal is spitting in the face of his father and saying, I don't care about what the law says. I don't care about the house and your rules. But I want my inheritance and I want it now. Give me. Now that's an imperative. Give me. And the amazing thing is about this individual, this father, who is incredibly wealthy, it seems. You see, he's got Chris, he's got these two sons, but he has property and he has cattle. He has a ring and the robe and the sandals. He is able to kill the fatted calf and make a big celebration in a moment's notice. And it's almost unbelievable that he goes on and gives both of the sons their inheritance right then. Both of them. The text says in verse 12, Waylon, he divided the inheritance, the substance, between the two. That's scene one. Scene two. Look at verses 13 through 16. We go from pride and greed... And the equilibrium being upset to the problem being explored. And it's explored in the two words separation and waste. 
Not many days passed, according to the text, before he gathered up all his belongings and left. And according to the text in verses 13 through 16, he left for where? Where did the prodigal go when he left his father's house? Where did he go? The far country. The far country, Roger, is anywhere and everywhere. All you need to go to the far country is a restless soul and a desire to not be under your father's care and authority. All you need is a desire to engage in something other than the will of God and a restless soul. So the far country, the far country is where he went. And you don't measure it in terms of miles, but you measure it in terms of misery. And you never thought it was going to be that way at the time. What he thought is, I will be my own man. I'll be on my own. I'll make my own decisions. And I already have this inheritance And the text says, he wasted his substance on prodigal living. He wasted his substance on riotous living. What that means is he ate, drank, and was merry. He partied. He partied like there was no tomorrow. And incidentally, about the time his wallet ran dry, a severe famine came. And he began to be in want. And the text says, no one gave him anything. Get the picture. Scene 3, look at verses 17 through 19. In 17 through 19, here are the words for the scene. Decision and direction. How low has he sunk? How bad have things gotten? How difficult and dark and discouraged are his circumstances? They are so difficult that he has hired himself out to a man of the far country who has said, feed my pigs. And if this is a Jewish man, and surely he is, given the nature of the story and of the audience listening to our Lord on that occasion, it would have been the heights of uncleanness. It would have set the bar about as low as it could go. The guy who'd been wearing the fanciest of clothes that the inheritance had bought now had the stench of the pig pen and the mud and the mire. And he was so hungry he would have eaten some of the pods.
came to himself, 17 through 19 says. Notice that when he came to himself, he went home to his father because that's where the light was on. As dark as things were, he said, In my father's house, even the father's servants have bread enough and to spare. And here I am in these circumstances. Decision is being made. A decision is being made. A direction is being taken. I'm going to go back not to be a son but a servant. I'm going to say I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. The same words were used by Pharaoh in Exodus 8 and verse 10 when Pharaoh is trying to get Moses to stop the plagues. It may be that one would read about the prodigal and say something like this, and I can understand it. Talk is cheap. It's one thing to say this. It's another thing to have the humility and love and trust for the father that he should have had in the first place. And while I don't disagree with that, it seems to me that this young man is at a turning point in his life. And everything in me wants to believe the best about his motivation. but I say this to you. He learned what misery was when he was in the far country, but he had no idea what mercy was until he got home to his father. He had sorely misjudged his father, and we'll see that as this goes on. Look, if you will, at verses 20 and 21. Waiting and compassion. That's the scene. Waiting and compassion. That's the scene in the story. And here's what's happening. Hey, Ray, what's happening is this. While he was afar off, his father sees him. Isn't that right? He's been waiting. He has been patiently waiting. And it's almost as if Jesus doesn't tell us this, but the idea is every day the father gets up with the thought in his mind, today may be the very day he comes home. That's how much I treasure him. I'm not going to go out and get him. I want him to come home. But every day I am going to be relentless in watching for him to come home. Every day. You watched watchfulness, waiting. It's hard to watch and wait. But that's what the father's doing. He sees him. He sees him while he's afar off. A speck, a scarecrow of a sun on the horizon. He sees him. And in a scene that never ceases to touch my heart, he runs. The father runs. He runs to embrace his son because that's the kind of dad, kind of father he is. I 
I want you to know the same passage that taught about how to deal with the inheritance also talks about how to deal with the rebellious child. Deuteronomy again, 21, 18 through 21. A rebellious child who had brought such shame and humiliation upon the household could have been stoned to death. They could have pelted that person with stones until they died. And guess what, Big Jeff? Here's this father running to his son, and it says he embraced him and he kissed him. It's going to be mighty hard to stone that young man when he is covered in the embrace and affection of his father. Next scene, verses 22 uh, through 25. There's joy and a celebration. This is scene number five. Joy and a celebration. What's going on here in 22 through 25? What the son is trying to say is, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy. And that's the whole point. He wasn't worthy of the mercy and affection of his father any more than you and I are worthy of the affection and love and mercy of the heavenly father. He's the embodiment of holiness and purity. And yet he runs to sinners. And in this case, it's Jesus who's run to earth to save sinners. Keep going with me. Joy and celebration. Lost, found. Joy and the Father. And now see what happens is initially the prodigal, the, by the way, people are lost because of rebelliousness. They're lost due to ignorance. They're lost due to carelessness. But some of us have been lost just out of flat-out rebelliousness. Like the prodigal. And the father says, notice this, because the prodigal wanted to go to the far country to party, and now everything has changed, and it's the father that's wanting to have the party for the son who's home. What irony. Kill the fatted calf. Put shoes on his feet, sandals. He's part of the family, not a servant. Put a ring on his finger. He has a place. He's treasured. He's valuable. Put the robe on his back. Now I want you to think about with me how he probably was dressed to the hilt because I'm sure he bought new clothes when he got his inheritance, and it was all the fancy good stuff. But now the fancy good stuff was in rags and had the stench of the pig pen. And the robe and the ring and the shoes and the calf and the celebration 
are all simply blessings of the Father who treasures the Son. Number six. Look at verses 25 through 32. You know, I, I wish the story had ended right there in one way. But it doesn't. What happens is this. You've got this aha moment when he says, I'm going to arise and go to my father. Eureka! I'm going to go, I'm going to go home to my father. Not as a son, but as a servant. And then he's received so well, you have an ending that is just precious and amazing as it speaks of a father's love. But then in verses 25 through 32, you've got the equilibrium upset again. About the time you thought everything was going to be going great, the equilibrium gets upset. Anybody got a family like that? I suspect we all do. God does. And this time it's the older brother... The older brother hears the sound of the joyful celebration and he asks a servant, what's going on? And the servant tells him, and stop and think about this with me for a moment because the older brother is far nicer to the servant than he is to his own brother and to his own father. He is going to prove himself to be out of fellowship with his father and with his brother out of a relationship, even though he's the one that seemed to be the good one who stayed. And the father comes out. And the text says he began to entreat him, to exhort him, the older brother, he, he urged him. He pleaded with him. Won't you come in? Won't you come in to the celebration and it's joy? Your brother's back. And the older brother says, look. Look. I've always been here. And I have never transgressed your commandment. Why are people lost? Self-righteousness. Some are lost out of ignorance. Some are lost out of carelessness. Others are lost out of rebelliousness. But some people are lost out of self-righteousness. You've got the prodigal who didn't think he was worthy of all that the father was doing for him in the celebration, and you've got the older brother who thought he was plenty worthy, and it was long overdue for him to get it. I've never transgressed your law. And this son of yours has devoured his inheritance and humiliated the family by riotous living and going in with prostitutes. That's what the older brother says. And the father. The same father that showed tender love 
for the rebellious prodigal who made a decision to go in the right direction. Shows tender affection and affirmation of a self-righteous older brother. He calls him son. I got a few things I'd have liked to call that older brother, but I don't know that son would have been the first thing on my list. I'm sorry. Son. You are with me always. And all that I have is yours. Wouldn't it be great if more of us in the church could end up going from rebelliousness and going to the kind of child God wants us to be without becoming self-righteous? And it's as if this guy, be angry and sin not. Well, I'm going to tell you, Ephesians 4.26, he's crossed the border. He's proved himself to be in the far country just as much as his younger brother was. Because he says, you never even had a, a celebration for me with a young goat. You've killed the fatted calf for him. You didn't even kill the young goat for me. You are with me always. All that I have is yours. Are you going to stew in your anger? Are you going to stay outside and pout? Because the Father has been good to someone who has also been good to you. Is that what you're going to do? So what we have in 25 through 32 is anger and resentment. Put it in your notes. That's scene number six. Anger and resentment. And what I want to do is show you that everybody in this chapter knows joy except the scribes and the Pharisees at the beginning. And who else? Who else? The older brother. In other words, those that are ignorant and careless and even those that are rebellious, they can see something about the joy of looking to the Father and of looking to the light. And those that are self-righteous may have the hardest time doing it. Scene 7. That's where the chapter ends. I got questions, Jesus. Did the older brother go in? Did he go in and did he hug his younger brother? Did he go to his father and say, I underestimated you just like my brother did. Your grace, your mercy, your love, your kindness. And I was acting like I was a slave instead of a son. And I was emphasizing self-righteousness instead of a father who is completely righteous and good. What's going to happen the next day? 
You still got an older brother that's got a major league industrial strength problem with anger management. You still got a younger brother that's blown a third of the family fortune. What's going to happen? The people on that occasion would be the answer to the story. as they looked to the light of Jesus. Years ago, there was an artist known as the artist of light. I'll tell you who the artist of light is, Jesus, because nobody paints a picture of the love of the Father like Jesus. And nobody shows the love of the Father like Jesus. I am glad that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And whether a person is lost through ignorance and carelessness or rebelliousness or self-righteousness, lost is lost. But here's the good news. God values and treasures us. And he's waiting there's light at the end of your tunnel of darkness. Light supplied by Jesus. And nobody rejoices and celebrates like the Father. Nobody throws a party like our Father. Two sons, think about it. Both wanted to party, but they wanted to party without their father. But I tell you what, there's no lasting party unless the Father is the guest of honor. Amen. Amen? I'm sorry? That lesson is the greatest story ever told because it was told by the greatest storyteller who ever told a story. And it's true. Let us stand and sing.